in front of my eyes. <laughs> Get out of here. And it's still there. Please. Um, anyways, yeah, what an intro, hey? This guy that just focuses on a hair in front of him. Um, if, yeah, and if you don't know me, I'm just kind of off the wall. I like to think of myself as quite unique. I like to challenge. Um, if you know, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, a personality type test, uh, I'm an eight, which is the challenger. That's what it's called. So I like to challenge, but I like to do so in health um, because unhealthy eights are probably the worst people to be around because they're just continually berating you and um, you're just not going to have a good time with them. So I like to think of myself as quite healthy, but you may have a different opinion. That's all right. Let me know afterwards. Um, so I'm going to, yeah, we're continuing on in our series, Future Church. So we started this last week. Yeah, last week with Pastor Tim, and um, I'm continuing on in part two. Um, today it's going to be peacemakers in a culture. It says of outrage and fear, but I changed that, sorry, um, to a violence and t tumultuous climate. Yeah, I like big words sometimes. And there's some, you know, sometimes big words just, they add a little oomph because you hear normal words all the time. So you use big words and it's just like, there's just like a little bit of like, oh, I haven't heard you in a while. And if you use big words around me, I'll be like, good word. Like, I'll give you a word of affirmation with that. So um, before I start, I wanted to just quickly, um, if you weren't here last week, um, we had the announcement of Erin, who led up here on our keys um, this morning as well. But she what, she is our youth, our worship pastor, but she's kind of stepping aside. Um, I don't even know how to describe it really. She's not, she's not stepping back. She's stepping to the side to create a space for growth and for team and just for the culture of worship here at CLA. And so um, I just wanted to take some time to personally honor you, Aaron, this morning. Um, and if you missed that announcement last week, here it is again. But um, we just, I just want you to know that there's been moments um, at CLA where you've been leading worship that have been the most um, inspiring and deep heavenly moments that I've had with the Lord in the recent years of my life. And I know even what, particularly in one worship night, and I was just laying down right there on the floor, and I had one of the most beautiful encounters with the Lord I've had in a very, very long time. And... It was very simple. There was maybe 10 or to a dozen people in this room, and I think it may have been just you leading from the stage, Aaron, but um, I came up afterwards, and you felt as though oh, that was a disaster. Like, that was your, you were like, oh, I don't, I don't know how that went. That felt so off to me, but little did you know, like, I was having this radical experience with God on the carpet there, and so I just want to honor you for that and your dedication and things you do beyond the scope of your role even administratively and just pouring into people. Um, I just wanted to say that personally to you, so there you go. You're welcome. Yeah, let's give it up for Aaron. So, peacemaking in a violent, tumultuous world. Here we go. Um, we're going to start, we're going to go right to scripture, Matthew 5, 3 to 10, uh, I like to read out of the NRSV translation. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And blessed are you when, you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, false on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So blessed are the peacemakers, for they are children of God. Also blessed are, the people who are, are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I feel like these kind of go hand in hand, especially with what I'm going to be sharing about this morning. And then further on in this chapter, same chapter, Matthew 5, 38 to 48. And when I'm, when I'm saying these words, don't let, the, doesn't, don't let this be just, don't numb yourself to the words of Scripture, which I think we can often do. Where I've, Oh, I've heard this story a million times before. I want you to ask this question before I read this. What if we actually understood this as a church? What if we actually lived this out in our everyday life? What if we lived this out not only when things are really good and it's easy to love people, but when we're in the valley, so to speak, and things are really hard and we're very irritable? What would it look like if we actually lived this out in those moments as well? So Jesus says, you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other side. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Some translations use the word pagans there. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And so the question that I had asked you before I read this is, what if the church actually understood this and lived this out every single day of their lives? What if I did? What if Tim did? What if anyone in this room, every single day we decided, you know what, when someone comes to strike me on the cheek, I'm going to turn the left also. When someone says, give me your coat, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give everything that I have. What if so, when someone comes and says, walk t one mile with me, you walk two miles. And sometimes the, the context of these, these words can get lost on us because they're like, oh, if someone, if someone asked me to go for a walk with them, I love walks, you know. But in that context, the, the Roman Empire is in power and the Jewish people are, are enslaved once again under an empire and oftentimes a Jewish person would just be living their life and a Roman soldier or a group of soldiers would come up to them and they would be carrying all of their armor and their war items and they would say, come over here, Jew, and carry this for me. And they would laden the Jewish people with all of this armor and they would force them to walk a mile and carry the armor for them, these people that have oppressed them. But God is saying, hey, if someone comes up to you and says, come walk a mile, say, I'm going to go two for you. Do you need me to do anything else for you? 
And in the context, this isn't someone who's not, this isn't someone who's easy to love. For, for the, the Jewish people, this, the, the Roman people are the antithesis of their people. They are the opposites of them. They are the oppressor. They are the one who is crushing them down. They are the ones where all of the problems that they have in their life are on these people. But God is saying, are you willing to lay your life down? Are you willing to go two miles for them? And so church, are you, are you, on your worst days, are you willing to go two miles for the people that irritate you and hate, you hate the most? If I'm answering, absolutely not. If I'm going to be real with you, I, I, I rarely do this. And I think the moments that I do do this I, are moments that I've experienced God the most. Those moments where I say, you know what, this is unconventional, this is going against everything, and I, I really don't want to do this, God. I don't want to do this, especially for this person. But then you do it. And it's as if like this divine beauty comes in and it illuminates your heart and you realize this is what I was meant to do in the first place. So again, I ask you, if, if we got this, if we understood this, what would, the, what would the world look like? What would the church look like? How would the world perceive the church? Because right now the world perceives the church in a way that is not healthy. A little newsflash. Um... And people are always, there's, there's the 10 steps to making your church relevant or the 10 steps to how to love the world or how to love da, 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 whatever you want to create. But it, I think we are trying to overcomplicate something that is actually quite simple. The concept is simple. The acting it out is the hardest thing you're ever going to do in your life. An eye for an eye and a tooth for, the to- for a tooth, oftentimes that is a reaction oh, that person made a, a Facebook post that, that goes right against my beliefs. I'm going to retaliate. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Who's been there? This person said something that was so offensive to me. I, 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 I just can't. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. I'm going to let them know what my mind is. And then it says, but I say to you, don't resist an evildoer. And this is a hard message. And this is a message right, like when I was writing this, I was convicted the whole way through. Because I, I struggle with this so much. As someone who has the honor of, of sharing on a public platform, I just, this is a bit of a side thing, but I just want to say, don't ever... Please don't put me on a pedestal. Please don't put Pastor Tim on a pedestal. Please don't put your favorite podcast or church that you may view online of whatever favorite church that you love to listen to their stuff. Please don't put those people on a pedestal. Because we've been, the, the church structure has done this for a long time where that, that person on the stage is the one where they're going to have the answers or they're going to be the perfect representation of the things that are speaking. And I'm, I'm talking about something today that I don't do often and that I, I, I'm actually really bad at. It doesn't come naturally for me. So please don't put me on a pedestal because you're going to get disappointed. Don't put Tim on a pedestal because you're going to be disappointed. 
And that's not to say that we don't have wisdom and things to share with you, but that's to say, don't put all your eggs in the basket of a person. Put them in Jesus Christ. It's about your relationship with him and intimacy with God. Because we see it over and over again. Oh, there's this church split, or there's this mega church pastor who had an affair, or there's this and there's that. And all of the world is saying, see, look at what you're like. And the church is saying, shame and condemnation and guilt on these people. Why could you do that? I thought you were a man of God. But they've placed them on a pedestal that they were never meant to be in the first place. So what would it look like if the church understood this? To, to Don't resist an evildoer. That's a very strong word, evildoer. One who does evil. One who does the opposite of what God is. One who breaks and destroys and comes against wholeness. Because automatically when we experience evil, we feel like we need to like, we need to push, we need to respond. When we experience violence, a lot of times we feel like we need to be violent in return. But it says don't resist evildoers. And I, I really feel like this is the center point of peacemaking is when evil comes to you and you absorb it, obviously not actually, but you, you let the evil come to you and you don't, you don't, say, you don't reciprocate the evil back. When you experience hurt and broken people, you don't reciprocate brokenness back to them. You experience this thing and the Christ in you actually deteriorates it and dissipates it and it doesn't allow it to affect you anymore, but you don't, you, it's not like you're continuing the cycle. And this is the heart of martyrdom. And we don't, we don't talk about martyrdom a lot anymore in church because it's, we're so far removed from it. And if you think that we're being persecuted right now, let, like, look at church history, please. And so, actually, I have a book here. It's called Fox's Book of Martyrs, and it's, um, it's a book that goes through the history of martyrdom in, from the early church all the way up to the 21st century. And so this morning, I'm going to read to you two stories of martyrs from this book, from the early church. Um, I feel like it can be a very sobering thing to us because we've been so far removed from the actual experiences of resisting an evildoer. Because I believe these people in this book, they understood this. So the first person, his name was Polycarp. Um, and he was actually a student of the Apostle John. So he knew the Apostle John personally. So it says, he was, and he was also the overseer of the church in Samaria. And so he heard that soldiers were looking for him, and he tried to escape, but he was discovered by a child. So after feeding the guards who had captured him, he asked for an hour in prayer, which they gave him. He prayed with such fervency that his guards said that they were sorry that they, they were the ones who captured him. Nevertheless, he was taken before the governor and condemned to be burned in the marketplace. After his sentence was given, the governor said to him, reproach Christ and I will release you. Polycarp answered, 86 years I have served him and he never once wronged me. How then shall I blaspheme my king who has saved me? 
In the marketplace, he was tied to the stake rather than nailed, as he was the usual custom, because he assured them that he would stand immovable in the flame and not fight them. As the dry sticks placed around him were lit, the flames rose up and circled his body without touching him. The executioner was then ordered to pierce him with a sword. When he did, a great quantity of blood gushed out and put out the fire. Although his Christian friends asked to be given his body as it was so they could bury him, the enemies of the gospel insisted that it be burned in the fire, which was done. Secondly, there's a a lady named Bladina, a Christian lady of a weak constitution who is not thought to be able to resist torture, but whose fortitude was so great that her tormentors became exhausted with their devilish work was afterward taken into an amphitheater with three others suspended on a piece of wood stuck in the ground and exposed as food for wild lions. While awaiting her suffering, she prayed earnestly for her companions and encouraged them, but none of the lions would touch her, so she was put back into prison, and this happened two times. The last time she was brought out, she was accompanied by a 15-year-old whose name was Ponticus. The steadfastness of their faith so enraged the multitude that neither her sex nor his youth were respected, and they were subjected to the severest punishments and tortures. Blendina was torn by the lions, scourged, put into a net, and tossed about by a wild bull. She was placed naked into a red-hot metal chair. When she could speak, she exhorted all near her to hold fast to their faith. Ponticus persevered unto death, And when Blindina's torturers were unable to make her recant her faith, they killed her with a sword. And this book is is story after story after story of similar things that have happened. And so these people, Polycarp, Blindina, the multitude in this book, they they experienced evil in in a very tangible, apparent way. But I can't help but imagine their words as they're being burned at a stake, as they're being pulled along in a net by a wild bull. If anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other side. And if you, anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. They got this. They understood this. Ten out of the twelve disciples were martyred. And one of them was that I'm not including in that number is Judas Iscariot who killed himself after betraying Jesus. There's only one disciple who wasn't martyred for their faith, John. Um, and there's also tradition tells a story where they tried to kill him and throw him in a burning pot of boiling water. Um, but he just, he left unscathed and they couldn't kill him. So the Bible that we read from, the words that are on the screen right now written from Matthew, this man died. He was killed. He was a martyr. The words of Paul, the words of Luke, all of the, the New Testament, most of it, was, were people that were killed for their faith. Gregory Boyd says, In the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated, it is precisely a person's love for their enemies and they're pledged to never retaliate. That is the ultimate sign of their loyalty to God. Let me read that again. In the kingdom that Jesus inaugurated, it is precisely a person's love for their enemies 
and their pledge to never retaliate that is the ultimate sign of their loyalty to God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. God, in this moment, I just pray that if if I was placed in a similar situation to these people, would I react the same way? I can't confidently tell you that I would. Some days, maybe, some days, no. But God, I pray that this morning that my words would be a conviction on our hearts, on my heart, that we would be a people of peacemaking, that we actually create peace. And peace is not just absence of conflict, but it's wholeness. God, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God, and God, children look like their parents. So you look like peacemaking. You are peace. You are the prince of peace. So let the words of Matthew sink in this morning. Because we could go into all this, the theology of peacemaking and all these different avenues that I actually was going to do, but I really felt God say, take a step back and let's let the words of Matthew sink in this morning. It's all we need. As I said earlier, if we, if we lived this, the world would be a different place. And so the, we have the Jewish people who are captive by one nation after another nation after another nation. If you look at the history of these people, they're slaves to Egypt, they're slaves to the Assyrians, they're slaves to the Babylonians, they're slaves to the Empire of Rome. They're in this constant state of being captured and oppressed and trodden, of cultures trying to assimilate them. And actually at one point in the, in, when they're free, when they escape captivity from Egypt and they're actually flourishing, as we read in the book of, or in the life of Solomon, in the book of First Kings, in the book of Psalms, we see these, this moment where Israel is, it's kind of its own nation. It's not oppressed, so to speak. But ironically enough, and I, I, I'm going to go into this in another sermon later, and, and it's written in First Kings, but they actually begin to become the oppressor themselves. They actually begin to hire slaves to do work for them. They begin to create stockpiles and to hoard resources and to create armies and to breed chariots and to do the exact same things that the Egyptians had done to them. They say, now we're free, but they, com- they continued on in the cycle. They didn't resist it. They continued on in the cycle of violence. They didn't say, no, we're here to make peace. Let's make a new way, a new kingdom, an upside-down kingdom that's not going to look like the way that any other kingdom has looked like before. And so then they're captured again and again and again. And and Jesus comes along and they're expecting a savior to come. And God, you're going to come with a vast army and you're going to wipe out anyone that opposes us. And we're, we're going to be your people again. And Jesus says, you, you've missed the point. 
and he comes and he humbles himself and he serves and he washes feet and he doesn't use violence to hoist himself up to a position of power. And obviously, there's arguments that people can use against that about him making a whip, but it never says he whips people anyways. Peter, he goes and he, Jesus is about to be captured and he goes and cuts off the ear of one of the assailants and Jesus says, what are you doing? And he heals the man's ear. No, 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 we're not, we're not, gonna, we're not gonna resuscitate this. We're not going to attack evildoers offensively. We're gonna... We're, <laughs> I, I, we're coming with a new kingdom. God, should we call down fire on them right now? Do you not know what spirit you're, you're of? And I can just imagine, there's the, especially with his disciples, they're asking him, God, can you just tell us when you're going to take over? Like, when, are you, when is this going to happen? Like, and I always, I'm always quoting the chosen, and I don't know why, but there's Simon in it, and he's always, he's always ready to brawl. Like, he's always ready to fight. He's like, he's always got the back door open. He's like, if they come in, we're going to go this way. I'll hold them off for you, Jesus. Like, I've, he's like, he's the tough man. I honestly, I see myself in that role if I was one of the 12 disciples. Like, I'm ready. Jesus, if someone wants to come fight, like, let's go. Anyone watch the UFC fights last night? They were amazing. Probably no one in here. Anyone? Yeah, one. Thank you, Josh. Um, they were great. But don't watch replays because there was one fight that is one of the grossest injuries I've ever seen. Sorry, side note. I would be Simon, like, let's go. Like, I'm, you know, trained, I'm gonna train in MMA on the side. Like, Jesus' teachings, I'm gonna train with a trainer, like, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna be a good fighter, and I can defend you, Jesus, I'll be your bodyguard, we're good. But Jesus is like, what are you doing all the time? And it's like he can't get it through his thick head all the time. What are you doing? Like, he's squaring up. What are you doing, Simon? He's cutting off, Peter's cutting off ears. What are you guys doing? No. And I can just imagine Jesus getting exhausted because there's such an ingrained spirit of violence and retaliation that is constantly telling people what they should do in circumstances because of their experience, because of them being oppressed, because of them being trodden. They want to be the trotters. They want to crush the, the neck of Rome. And then Jesus, he lives his whole life and then he dies on a cross. And like, what now? God, I thought you were going to cause an insurrection. I thought you were going to raise up an army. I thought we were going to do this together. And now I'm, I'm watching the person who, all of the eggs I put in that basket, I'm watching them die before me. And so Jesus, he, he's on the cross and he's experiencing the violence of humanity in its fullest form in a crucifixion. And he's not retaliating. Even when he stands before Pilate at his, his hearing, not once, one time does he defend himself. So God comes as the ultimate peacemaker. He experiences violence and hatred and he says, I am not going to give that back to you. And he dies 
and he's resurrected three days later. He is the one who turned his cheek until death. He is the one that walked not one, not two miles. Who, I, I don't even know how many miles it would have been that he would have to carry that cross. He gave everything he had. He's the ultimate shalom. And if you know any Hebrew words, this is probably the one Hebrew word you know. It's it's Hebrew for peace. But I think we've, we've kind of muddled the translation on that quite a bit because it means a lot. It is, a, it is such a complex, compound word that if I was to simplify it, it, it means wholeness. The shalom of God is the wholeness of God. God came to be the ultimate wholeness for you and me. Indigenous theologian Randy Woodley, he, he puts it like this. Jesus properly understood as shalom coming into this world from the shalom community of the Trinity is the intention of God's once and for all mission. That is, the mission of birthing and restoring shalom to the world is in Christ, by Christ, and for the honor of Christ. Jesus is shalom. He is wholeness. He came from a community the trinity of wholeness, to restore shalom, to restore wholeness to this world. Peace isn't just the absence of conflict. Peace isn't just what you write on someone's tombstone when they're dead. It's an active force. It's a character of who God is. Peace looks into the face of sin and death and cries out with a resounding no. Not today. And when I wrote that down, I had apprehension writing those words because I felt like it would be better fitted for a word like love or holiness or some of these righteousness. But oftentimes I don't view peace as the counterpart to death and sin. And I don't know why. That might be just me. But you're going to keep on sinning or missing the mark if you don't have peace. You're going to experience death and brokenness and loss if you don't have shalom. And Jesus always critiqued structures that hindered shalom. Ironically enough, the structures that seemed to hinder shalom and wholeness the most were the religious ones. The Pharisees, Sadducees, all those guys. And Jesus is saying, what you're doing, it's not bringing shalom here. Your truth, your law, it's not bringing shalom. There's a different way. And I am that way. And, on, and Christians, before we were called Christians, were called followers of the way. We follow the way of Jesus. We follow the way of wholeness. We follow the way of love. We follow the way of everything that Jesus embodies. And so I want to quote another theologian. His name is Cornelius Plantinga. It says, 
the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation and justice, fulfillment, and delight is what the Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it means far more than mere peace of mind or a ceasefire between enemies. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs in which natural needs are satisfied and natural gifts fruitfully employed, a state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. If there's an area of your life where you're wondering, I don't think this is what is meant to be. Maybe the missing key for you is shalom. Or if you're experiencing something and it just feels right, this this is, I'm going, I'm going with the flow of God. This is what it means to be in shalom, to experience shalom, to experience peace. And I think our, our biggest hindrance for shalom, for peace, is if we go back to these verses, we make excuses for why we can't be peacemakers, for why we can't experience this thing. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for the tooth, but I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. But God, you don't know what they've done to me. God, you don't know what they said about me. You don't know what they believe. You don't know how they live. Why would I turn my cheek to that person? If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. But God, this is the only coat I have. I'm not working right now. I don't have enough to get another coat. They're just going to take my clothes that I'm going to give them and sell it and feed their addiction. If anyone forces you to go one mile, I'll also go the second. But God, I'm tired. I got bad knees. I can't do it. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. But God, I'm never going to get anything back from them. If I let them borrow it, I know. And we all know people like this, where if you let them borrow something, you're never going to see it again. But what does... See, there's a resistance to that. If they have a reputation of borrowing things and not giving it back, you're not going to lend them anything anymore. But unconditional love freely gives fully. And it's, there's, a, there's this thing in me, and I think there is a tension, obviously, in that with wisdom and with boundaries and with all of those things. But the words are the words here. And I want, like, even up here, I want to try to make excuses for this. So what if we stopped making excuses and actually just lived it out? That is when we will experience the ultimate shalom. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be children of God. They will emulate God. And so CLA, church, anyone watching online, anyone here, my prayer this morning is that these words come with a conviction of, you know what, we're missing the mark on this. And maybe some of you aren't. I am. 
But if we want to radically change this world, we need to be peacemakers. We need to go into any situation that we find ourselves in, any relationship, and we need to bring wholeness and life and light and vitality. And when we, when we get this, there's this prophetic picture, and it's, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, Isaiah 2.4. Says he shall he shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many people, and they will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation; neither shall they learn and learn war anymore. And Isaiah wrote this a long time ago, but he had a vision. He saw what it looks like to be a peacemaker. He saw the the ideal kingdom of heaven. And it looks like this. But we've, we've, we've become so ingrained with a society that tells us we need war. We need more, we need more of a, and maybe not as much in Canada as the U.S., but what if the trillions of dollars that we were pouring in to create machines of destruction were given to the addicts or the, the homeless shelters or to those that are in need, the single-parent families, I can't help but, not, but think that things might change a little bit if we shifted our standards. God, my, my prayer is that I would see swords plowed it, or beaten swords into plowshares. God, that we would break guns and things that would cause violence and replace them for, with hugs. I don't know. <laughs> it's the first thing that came into my mind. So cheesy. Okay, Jared, cut that out of the stream. Just pause me and then start me again. <laughs> it reminds me of those like free hug signs. When I went to YC way back and all these kids had free hug signs. I was like, get out of my face. I don't want to hug you. Especially high school, Cody. If you knew how you use, not hugging anybody. But ideally, I would be hugging everybody. And that's something to say to me because I think I have a predisposition to be a violent person, if I'm honest. And many of you heard of my story. I love metal and hardcore music. I'd go to shows just so I could actually beat people up legally. And it sounds funny, but it, it, it's so counter. My theology has reformed my actions. Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this quote. I have a lot of quotes. It's by Jamie Arpin Ritchie. He says, Shalom is what love looks like in the flesh. It's the embodiment of love in the context of a broken creation. Shalom is a hint at what was, what should be, and what will be one day again. Where sin disintegrates and isolates, shalom brings together and restores. Where fear and shame throw up walls and put on masks, shalom breaks down barriers and frees us from the pretense of our false selves. So God, I just pray for us this morning. I know it's a, a challenging message, challenges myself. But God, what I look to you is the standard of peacemaking. Would I not look to make excuses for why I should be able to retaliate, why I should be able to not turn my cheek, why I should only walk one mile or not walk at all? God, would those excuses fall to the wayside? God, would I also not be desensitized to what others that have gone before me have experienced that have understood this. 
God, would I live my life in a way where if the situation came up, I would say, God, I've been with you for 86 years and not once have you failed me, so do, what with, do with me what you wish, as Polycarp had said. Not once have you failed me, God. And there's times where I feel like you have failed me. But that's not a reality. And so for those of you who are in here where you feel like maybe God has failed you, Maybe God has disappeared from your life and you're saying, there's no way I would give up my life for you. The stories that you read are ludicrous that people would be so brainwashed to do something like that. But when I read these stories, I can, I can only imagine the look in their eyes. They're experiencing the the worst bodily physical harm that they can, but their eyes are still full of life and joy. God, would my life be, would would I trend to that direction? Where if I face persecution, if I face differing thoughts, opinions, or if I face violence, tumultuous, tumultuous things in this world, would I not reciprocate those things back to people, God? Would I not become a part of another cog in the system? And so Holy Spirit, this morning, um, I just wanna say I love you. Jesus, I love you. Maybe it's been a while since you've said those words. And maybe those words mean nothing because you hear them all the time. But I want you to, even now in this moment, say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, you've never failed me. Jesus, you saved my life. You transformed my heart and you're continuing to transform my heart. I haven't arrived at the quote unquote place, but God, I know that your grace and your mercies are with me as I'm on the path towards that place. So I just humbly come before you, you who came as a servant who laid your life down for me in ways that I I am reciprocating empire and violence and not understanding the the heavenly kingdom way. Would you come and would you transform and would you illuminate and give me revelation of what that looks like? Because at the end of the day, I wanna be kingdom-minded, God. So we just bless everyone here, everyone watching online. Would we go and would we make partake in creation would we make wholeness would we make things the way that they ought to be in Jesus name amen
heard the word of the Lord today. Yeah. It's a good word. Cody, you're, you're a gift and a blessing. And your attentiveness to God's heart is humbling. Um, there's a few things coming up this this week that or yeah this week and, and in the near future I don't want you to miss and so I I don't want to come out of a place of 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 just the awe of God um, so I apologize but carry carry that in your heart don't don't just go on to lunch and forget you're walking in peace as God defines it. Um, Every Tuesday morning, there's a prayer meeting that happens in the lobby, 8 a.m., 8 to 10 a.m. Just if you have the freedom to be here, there's such a, a power in gathering and unifying in prayer and extending the, the peace of God and the purpose of God over this body and over this neighborhood and over this mall and beyond. So take part in that. And if... If you can't be here physically, pray. Take time during that time, corporately, even though you're not in the same space. Pray. Um, there's a, a, a studio that's been happening downstairs, Collab Studio. Thank you to everyone who's been giving to it. And, and thank you to Jeremy, who's, who's been uh, working hard at making that place look amazing. It's, it's well in the works, so thank you to everyone involved with that. Um, it's an exciting thing that, that God's going to use for his kingdom in our culture here. So I'm really excited about that. Um, there's a team night coming up, and a team night is like for volunteers or anyone who wants to be a volunteer. Um, it's coming up next month, and it's May 16th. It's a Sunday night here at the church, uh, 5.30 p.m. till 7. Food is going to be provided and a chance to fellowship and to understand sort of, hey, this is what God's doing in our midst and these are the opportunities that uh, where we're growing and where we're, we're uh, reaching out among us. So look for an opportunity to engage on that. That's May 16th. Um, tonight at the church, Royal Identity Ministries is going to be here. Uh, it's their second session on uh, Kingdom culture it's a free there's no cost free attendance um, please come and take take part in something that is just life-giving and building in your spirit um, and the last one is is uh, I have a pro I have a pro tip for you in giving this is the pro tip e-transfers are free cash and checks are free everything else has a service fee on it pro tip don't go to don't go to Manitoba to pay PST if you can buy it in Alberta for with no PST right right I'm from Manitoba that's 8% PST why wouldn't I buy it here pro tip e-transfers cash and check there's no service fee on those things a service fee on everything else. So I want to encourage you to make your money go as far as it can go. Um, but thank you for your generosity. Thank you for the way that you give your life 
uh, to the Lord and that through your life, you're being a blessing to the family of God here. Um, so Father, we pray that the word of God over us today as peacemakers, that you, the Prince of Peace, who are making in us uh, a message of peace, a kingdom of peace to the world, um, Lord, let that be continually established in us on a daily basis. Lord, we say yes to that. And we thank you for your love for us. We love you too. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.